that's when the story gets interesting. Years ago, I heard a story about a painting in the Louvre in France. According to the way it was told to me, the tour guide brought a group in front of this one painting, one of Mephistopheles, this is a Satan figure, playing chess with God. And the tour guide explained to the group that this was painted during the rise of humanism. And in this picture, Satan is playing chess with God. Satan's got a smile on his face and God looks just a little bit worried. And the title of the picture says it all. The title says, checkmate. But one man stays behind. And he looks and he looks and then his eyes get as big as saucers and he yells out, it's a lie. God still has a move. You're listening to Life on the West Side. Here's Nathan Guy. When Paul begins in 1 Corinthians 15 to lay out matters that are of first importance, the primary things, the important things, the gospel, the things you just have to know, the things you can't not know, he begins by saying Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. We talked about that last week, why Christianity has a cross. But I want to look at the next few phrases, starting with, and he was buried, and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. He was buried. Burial is important. It's important, Paul says, for you to know that Jesus's body went in the tomb. You can't have resurrection without a burial. When I was living in England, I actually attended a debate between a New Testament professor who argued that the physical body of Jesus probably didn't come out of this grave and a philosophy professor who argued that it probably did. It's a weird world we're living in. And yeah, I can go into explanation about where that all comes from. But you see, to save Christianity from embarrassment, some scholars have suggested that Jesus is a great moral figure, but dead people stay dead. And so when we talk about the ideals of Martin Luther King still around with us, the ideals JFK was fighting for that are still around, then you can say that somehow they're still with us in our hearts. And that's what we mean by resurrection. But the body of Jesus is still where it was when they laid him in the tomb so long ago. Paul says, no, that dog won't hunt. You see, I delivered to you as a matter of first importance that Jesus was buried and then he rose. He sticks buried in there to raise the likelihood to a fever pitch that what Paul meant was that what went into the tomb came out. You see, the word resurrection in the New Testament means the resurrection of the body. When Jesus raised Lazarus, if you remember, someone objected and said, but he's been dead for four days. And then my favorite King James language, he stinketh. <laughs> Ideas and souls don't stink. Bodies do. They knew what that meant. When Jesus raised the widow's son from Nain, the body in the coffin came out and went home. That's what the word means. 
In fact, they had a word in New Testament times to describe a vision, an apparition, uh, something like the, the idea or the meaning of someone to still be around with us. In Acts chapter 12, Peter is in prison. James has already been beheaded. And the church is gathered in someone's home to pray for Peter. But you know they're praying for him, but they're also thinking, Lord, be with them because he's probably going to get beheaded tonight. That sort of thing. So when the angel showed up and broke open the gates and Peter leaves the prison, goes to the door, knocks on the door, Rhoda answers the door, runs inside and says, Peter's at the door. And they say, leave us alone. We're praying for Peter. No, Peter's at the door. They can't believe it. So they say it must be his angel. They had language for he's dead. This must be some vision, some apparition, some memory of him. They had language for that. But the word for that is not resurrection. And when Jesus rose from the dead and he showed himself to his disciples and Thomas was very skeptical, Jesus said, look at my hands. Stick your fingers into my side. Don't be faithless but believing resurrection meant resurrection of the body. The tomb was full and then the tomb was empty. He was buried, says Paul, and then he was raised. But resurrection is not just some grand miracle at the end of the story, kind of like the, uh, the huge finale at the end of a fireworks display. It's more than just look at my power. Resurrection is a declaration. Paul says this in an interesting way. In the first chapter of Romans, Romans 1, you look at verses 3 and 4. He says, Jesus is the son of, uh, he was descended from David according to the flesh. But he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. How is he declared to be the son of God by the resurrection. Well, notice it's a two-part argument that Jesus makes. Did you know that there were other people who did great works of miracles besides Jesus? We see it in the Gospels. We see it in Acts. We see it in the Old Testament. Other people did miracles besides Jesus. Miracle doesn't make you son of God. There were other people claiming to be the Messiah. Uh, in Acts, it talks about somebody who claimed and brought a bunch of people out to die in the desert. Jesus says there will be other people claiming to be Messiah figures. Claiming to be the Messiah doesn't make you son of God. And there were other people who were raised from the dead. Jesus raised people from the dead. Elijah and Elisha do this. Raising from the dead doesn't make you the son of God. But you put them together. Jesus says, I'm doing miracles and I'm claiming to be the son of God. You put those together and you have to take me seriously, but I could be wrong. Now, all God has to do is to leave me in the ground and it will be proof that I'm a false teacher. But if God raises me from the dead and I'm the one that claimed to be the son of God, then that is proof positive. That is declaration that I am who I said I am. It's why C.S. Lewis said that based on Jesus' claims, you either have to say that he was a liar or a lunatic or the Lord. And the resurrection settles the debate. As Paul says in Romans 1, he is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the resurrection is a declaration and a confirmation. But it's even more than that. Something happened at the resurrection. Jesus descended into the depths of death 
and defeated the powers of darkness that held us back. There is a book of the New Testament that explains this, but it's one of the hardest ones for us to get into, unless you've been coming at 8 o'clock and letting Tom Winberry explain all the intricacies of the book. It's called the book of Revelation. One of my favorite chapters is chapter 12. I didn't check with him to see if my interpretation works, so if it doesn't, I apologize, Tom. I want you to first of all see how he sets the scene. Satan grabs a third of the stars of heaven and brings them down. Maybe a metaphor, maybe a sign to remind us that that which is against God has a number of powers at work with him. And they begin to set their sights on the woman who's about to give birth. And they're going to focus on her and on her offspring. This language, I can't help but see the Christmas story and the incarnation right here. Satan has all the major roads covered with the Romans in his pocket, the Herods handpicked, a disciple greedy for money, and a Messiah who doesn't resist, who's arrested and crucified. But that's when the story gets interesting. Years ago, I heard a story about a painting in the Louvre in France. I have looked and looked and looked online to find this picture, to find this painting, to find this story. And alas, I can't, which means it's probably a fake story. But it's so good, I want to tell it anyway. According to the way it was told to me, the tour guide brought a group in front of this one painting, one of Mephistopheles, this is a Satan figure, playing chess with God. And the tour guide explained to the group that this was painted during the rise of humanism. When we came to realize we don't need God to explain the things we can't explain anymore. You see, we needed God because we thought only God can provide water from the sky. But then we discovered the water cycle. We don't need God to explain that anymore. We thought God moved the planets where the angels were pushing them. But now we know how the laws of gravity and motion works. We don't need God to explain that anymore. So the rise of humanism was we got rid of our need for God. And in this picture, Satan is playing chess with God. Satan's got a smile on his face and God looks just a little bit worried. And the title of the picture says it all. The title says, Checkmate. The tour guide explains all this and then the tour group moves on to the next picture. But one man stays behind. And he's staring at the painting. A chess player himself, he's staring at the board. And he looks and he looks and then his eyes get as big as saucers and he yells out, it's a lie. God still has a move. And isn't that the case? Boy, Satan thought he had every major road covered. But if God raises Jesus from the dead. If God raises Jesus from the dead, everything Satan's been trying to accomplish is destroyed. He could go to, he could go to God and make the argument, humans aren't worthy to enter your presence. They've done that which is deserving of death. Death is defeated. Death carries with it all the sin and darkness and all the things you can't be a part of. But if God breaks through the bonds of death, Satan can no longer have anything to accuse the brethren for. And according to Revelation 12, a war broke out in heaven. Michael, 
the archangel fights against the dragon. The dragon fights and is thrown down. And the angels sing, now salvation has come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before the throne day and night has been cast out. And wouldn't you know it, never again in the book of Revelation is Satan ever called the accuser of our brethren. For as Paul says in Romans, if Christ be for us, who can be against us? Christians believe in resurrection. The cross is certainly great news. But what makes it good news is that death is not the end of the story. The resurrection forms the center of the gospel of God. Christ came that we might have life because he himself is the resurrection and the life. And Christians proclaim that the spirit is the giver of life and nothing declares that God is Father Almighty, quite like saying that God raises the dead. First Jesus, then we ourselves, that death may be swallowed up in victory. So I want to make two quick points about what Christians believe and why when it comes to the resurrection. Why does Christianity have a resurrection? And not just the resurrection of Jesus, that's first and central. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, because that happened, we look forward to our own resurrection that God's going to do with us. First, Christians affirm that resurrection hope is real. From the beginning, Christians have claimed that something real happened on Easter Sunday. Here's a quote from uh, N.T. Wright. This something left not just an empty tomb, but a broken loaf at Emmaus and footprints in the sand by the lake among its physical mementos. It also left his followers with a lot of explaining to do, but with a transformed worldview, which is only explained on the assumption that something really did happen, even though it stretched their existing worldview to a breaking point. William Lane Craig did his doctoral dissertation over in Germany. And he added more fuel to the fire when he came to the conclusion that the best historical case to be made, based upon all the evidence we've got of the empty tomb and the guards and the witnesses, if you take a look at the certain execution and the reliable burial tradition and an empty tomb that demands an explanation, the only one that makes sense is that God raised Jesus from the dead. And that fits the historical data better than any alternative answer that's been proposed. The resurrection of Christ confirms our hope in a future reality that awaits us. The end of sorrow, the end of shame, and the hope of glory. Our bodies may lie in the dust, sown in weakness, but they're going to be raised in power by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and now lives in us. And this is the way Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 6. We now have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. And that leads to the second, my last point. Christians affirm that resurrection hope is relevant. It's not an add-on teaching. 
It's not, yeah, we got a lot of interesting things Christians believe in. Oh, by the way, we also believe in this thing called resurrection. It is at the heart of the Christian faith because of the word hope. Hope for the future means that the past and the present is both accountable and redeemable. Without future hope, justice and peace are words with no meaning. But in the resurrection, God announced vindication, exaltation, and salvation are in the offering. There is a future for the people of God, which means there's meaning and purpose in life. One of my favorite writers, a man named Richard Hayes, says it this way. The early Christians were not just saying that Jesus' death and resurrection offered forgiveness of sins and the prospect that our individual souls could go to heaven when we die. They were saying that God was remaking the world, unseating the violent powers that have ruled over us and undoing the power of death. Do you see how believing in future resurrection is ethical, but it also has a political tinge to it? It's a call for every and all things to be set right, to bind up the wounds, to reconcile the separated. When we work for truth and beauty and goodness and justice in the present, we do that because what happens 50 years from now, when we are no longer breathing, isn't the end of the story. It's because we think the things we do now will make a difference. Have you ever noticed one of these beautiful symbols in the book of Revelation when it talks about heaven or new creation? A lot of different ways of talking about it. But it talks about the kings of the earth who bring their wares back in to the city. I get the impression that what he's trying to get across is the things we do in this world matter. They matter. And we see the fruit of our labors in the world to come. Tony Campolo has a very famous sermon where he says, Friday's terrible. Easter, when you think about the Good Friday, Friday's terrible. Friday's awful. Friday's sad. Friday's something to mourn about. Friday's something to remember. But Sunday's coming. And that's the title. Sunday's coming. We go through difficulties in our life. We go through struggles. And we think to ourselves, is it worth it? And hanging on to the cross reminds us that if Christ did it, I can do it too. But that's not even all there is to it. The story's not over yet. The new day will dawn in which the mere echoes of goodness and beauty and truth that we've witnessed this side of his coming will give way to the fullness for which our hearts are longing. Faith is necessary for Christian doctrine. Love is essential for Christian practice. But hope, genuine hope in the reality, is the reality to which all of our doctrine and all of our practice points. It's why we chose the Christian way in the first place. It's why we hold our faith and our practice and our love as we wait between the times. The story's not over yet. C.S. Lewis preached a very famous sermon called The Weight of Glory. I encourage you to look it up sometime and read it. It's powerful. I'll give you a quote. The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located 
will betray us if we trust to them. It wasn't in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they're mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They're only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country that we've never yet visited. But I'm telling you that that far off country is nearer to us now than when we first believed. In the raising of Christ, God announced the beginning of his return. The wait will soon be over. If Christians didn't believe in resurrection, Paul says, this whole thing would be meaningless. But because we do, everything we do matters. Thanks for joining. No one has ever loved you like Jesus Christ. I hope you feel that love in every sermon that's preached on this podcast. You can find more sermons, transcripts, study guides at nathanguide.com. Please stay tuned for another lesson and rest in the love of Christ.